So I've been giving a lot of thought about the fact that we all refer to ourselves as I. It actually just like that thought kind of popped into my head and I I don't know what it means or if it means anything. I just was like chilling and then kind of just grasped a hold of that thought. Like we all call each other I. What does that mean, right? Like I can say that I am this and I am that. And then you can say I am this and I am that. And I understand on the base level, it's a word that we use, that we've been taught to use to identify, you know, ourselves. So you learn that in in English class, it's basically, you know, basic English. And you learn when you point to yourself that you are I. When I point to myself, I am also I. And so that's the base level surface stuff. But then I wonder if there's something deeper than that. Like I've gotten into the habit of writing out my dreams because I've been having so many deja vu moments that they feel like I'm remembering, you know, a dream. So I just figure, well, if I just start writing my dreams and if I have something like a like a deja vu experience, it feels like a dream. I have a point of reference to go and check my dream journal. And um, the dream that I had last night kind of had me at odds with a reporter. Um, And the reporter had like written something kind of obviously very incorrect about my work, my artwork and my uh, show that I had had. And, um, And my dream self like emailed her and was like, mind your own fucking business, (laughs) which is funny because like, that's her job, right? It's the job of journalists to not mind their business and to like spread their opinions like facts, right? That's what they get paid to do. Um, My husband was actually saying that the news before they start every new show, they should now, they should be forced by law to start each broadcast of their show with a disclaimer saying that a lot of the stuff that they're presenting to you is not fact. It's all just opinion journalism um, because that's basically what, what, what the media is. It's just fucking opinion that is be- that's being you know, projected as fact. Um, clearly, that's not what they're leading people to believe. And so people assume that when they say something that they're telling the truth. But... I was reading um, an article from Washington Post and the journalist literally said that the majority of reporting now is opinion journalism. And and he was talking about uh, Chris Cuomo. Um, And I was like, okay, you kind of sneak that in there. And he wasn't even trying to like berate Chris Cuomo. Like he was on the side of Chris Cuomo and he was saying how great it is that Cuomo allegedly has COVID-19 and is still, you know, doing shows. And more importantly, he's doing shows with his brother, who is the governor of New York. And he didn't, the guy who was writing an article for the Washington Post didn't see that as a problem. Um, But it's clearly a problem. But he, because of the way the article was written, it's it's not objective. So a basic person would read that story and walk away, not better informed about like literally the fact that what they're doing is unethical, right? Having a journalist basically 
play around with a reporter on the news media and more or less influencing how people perceive the the governor, right? Through the media. I mean, there's, I forget what the word is right now. I can't think. Nepotism. Um, it's like, it's like nepotism, but it's like worse than that. And I can't think of the terminology, but it's, it's definitely um, not ethical what they're doing. But the way the article was written, it was like spun in a way that it was, it's just, well, it's all in clean fun, all in clean fun. And, you know, it's strange times, so we should just sort of let it slide. Um, but it's obvious to, you know, me at the very least that that's not what's happening. And a lot of people are being manipulated through the media, as they always do. But in this particular case with Chris and his brother, Andrew, um, yeah, it's just, it's unethical. And we'll just leave it at that. Um, side note, I got a text message from um, one of my friends asking me if I thought that uh, Chris Cuomo really had COVID-19. Um, and um, the short answer is, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not there. There's no way I can prove from my, my home all the way in Southern California if somebody on the other side of the country really has a disease that he's going on national television and claiming to have. I will say that pretty much everybody that I've talked to regarding this COVID-19 thing, a lot of people have said that they had flu-like symptoms towards the end of last year. And I've, kind of, I've even talked about it before um, on earlier or previous episodes that I feel like I had something that was not normal. And I was commenting on the fact that like, people just kept coughing. And I was like late uh, late last year. Um, and a lot of people I've talked about this said that when they did have it, it was like harrowing. Like it was like the worst flu ever. And it took them a long time to recover. Um, one of my listeners actually messaged me and was saying how um, like they had a hard time looking at screens. They, their fever was crazy high. There was a lot of mucus buildup. They felt like super lethargic and they needed to rest, right? Okay, like, and I get it. And I've talked about this in previous episodes before as well as how like when my husband had influenza, I think it was B, it was fucking scary. Like his heart was racing super fast. His fever was out of control. He could not get out of bed. And this is a huge, like big dude, okay, like 6'4", grown man, and to see him in that position was frightening to me, and the reason why we're staying at home is because, for the most part, they're saying that when this disease does manifest on the extreme end, when you're, where you're having fevers and things like that, it could be scary, right, that that's why people aren't allowed to, to go to work, in theory, so you mean to tell me that millions of people are being laid off because of this thing, right? Like it's that bad where the whole world has shut down um, and people have lost their job. But Chris Cuomo is supposed to be some sort of superhuman where he can have this virus hallucinate, like he's claiming to be hallucinating. Um, said that his teeth chattered so badly that he chipped his tooth. And all these other sort of extreme 
symptoms he's saying he's claiming he's presented with, but never go off the air, still conduct interviews, you know, quote unquote, from his basement, still be engaging, still working, not taking time off, not taking sick time off, which people would understand if you're genuinely sick, like you would get off TV, not the opposite. Where is he finding the energy to allegedly fight this and work like pretty much 12 hour days? Like he's been doing the most, he's been doing more now like with interviewing his his brother on his show, but then also calling into other CNN shows as well to talk about himself. He's been doing more now than before he got sick. I'm not going to go as far as to say that I think the dude is faking the illness. All I'm, because I, I don't know. And I try not to, you know, make statements of things that I'm not 100% certain of. I'm just saying he's not, he's certainly not acting like somebody who would, you know, who is infected with this disease. And you could, you can argue, well, you know, they say a lot of people who have it are ACE, you know, uh, symptomatic or whatever, which is true. But let's draw the parallels between um, the prime minister of Great Britain, who had to get in, get checked into the ICU because he was exhibiting like a high fever and other symptoms and it was not abating. And then while he was in the ICU, while they did not hook him up to a ventilator, they definitely gave him um, oxygen, oxygen. So they had to hook him up to oxygen, right? Like that's what you're saying that this virus has the potential to do. It's really that bad. Um, and it seemed like when it turned, it turned, um, and it turned pretty quickly. And then it sort of like, you know, became really bad. But this guy who is claiming he's having really bad shivers and really bad fevers and all these other things, and he's hallucinating. Why hasn't he gone to the hospital? Right? Like, if you were genuinely in that situation, what would all of us do? If we were genuinely in that situation where you genuinely felt like you had this horrible thing that has shut down the whole entire world, the last thing on your mind would be, I've got to fucking work. Right? You would be like, I need to get a doctor. I need to figure out how I'm going to treat this. Right? You would do what the prime minister did, which was, hey, th- these symptoms have not gone away. Um, I got to figure out how I'm going to take care of this. And um, he went to the doctor. Um, I haven't read any articles um, from today as to if his situation has gotten any better. Um, But that's what normal people would do if they were sick. That's all I'm saying. The whole thing seems weird. So Um, I'm not, I don't, I wouldn't put it past media talking heads to pull something like one of my listeners is suggesting might be getting pulled. I will say this on Twitter, uh, a doctor who was also a radiologist um, said that he looked 
closely at the x-ray that Chris Cuomo had presented on the 8th of April, I believe, um, on the media, um, on the CNN uh, segment that was supposed to show his lungs and the quote-unquote infiltrates of the virus in his lungs. And the x-ray was supposed to have been or was being analyzed by uh, Dr. Sanjay Gupta with which Dr. Sanjay Gupta um, is not a radiologist. <laughs> He's not an internalist. He is a neuroscientist. And it was clear, according to this doctor, who is a radiologist, it was clear that Dr. Sanjay Gupta had no idea what the fuck he was talking about <laughs> when he went to try to read these x-rays. Um, and then in that thread a lot of people started chiming in and they didn't seem partisan, right? They, it didn't, they didn't strike me as these were obvious, you know, Trump supporters or whatever. They just seemed like regular people who worked in the medical field that were noticing something was up. And they're like, that doesn't look like an x-ray for somebody who is, quote unquote, you know, ravaged by this virus. One of my listeners and my friends, she actually had she wanted to share with me an actual x-ray from an actual COVID-19 patient. And from what she was describing to me, it was like terrifying. It was scary. And I uh, said, please don't share that shit with me. I don't want to see that. <laughs> like, I don't want to, I don't, why would I need that in my psyche? Why would I want to let that into my mind space? I don't want to see that. But from her description of it, that shit was no joke. You know what I mean? So like I said, you take this information and you do with it what you will. Um, I think the one last thing was that when the Pope had it, because what happened was, I think it was late February, this dude was out there shaking hands with people who were infected with the virus. Like, I, I don't know. That's what happens when you delude yourself and you start drinking your own Kool-Aid. I don't know why you would think that if you surround yourself with a bunch of infected people, you're not going to get it. Like, a lot of the way that this thing is transmitted from what I've read is not just like you just walking about your day, which I think is why a lot of people just have very mild symptoms. It's if you are having to care for or you're in very close proximity to a person who has the infection, kind of like the flu, right? And they're coughing like right fucking next to you and they're not, you know, covering their faces aren't covered or whatever it is. Um, you're more likely to get the virus than if you're just like walking down the street or jogging or exercising or minding your own fucking business like the rest of us would have been doing, you know, just with extra caution had they not decided to just shut the entire world down, but whatever. Um, and then he, he ended up getting sick, which I said to my cousin, like is hilarious to me because that's what I was saying in the previous episode, episode before this is like people... You come into the game and you're in the game and by the game, um, my regular listeners understand what I mean by the game, but if you're a new listener and you chose to listen to this episode first, I always suggest check out other episodes. But what I mean by the game is I mean by the simulation and what I mean by simulation, I mean like this world we're living in right now. You're a subscriber and by your, I mean the Pope. He's a subscriber. He came into the game. You know, he bore the, mon the mantle, he took on the role of Pope, 
And he started believing that shit. And he started believing that he was the infallible, you know, <laughs> the, in, the infallible body of God and the authority of God or whatever the fuck they call themselves, drinking his own Kool-Aid. And so I saw a video of this dude, like he was staggering and he just looked like, like he was not in, in, in good form. Like it looked like it took him out. And, and we didn't hear from him for a few days. And then he finally popped up you know, and started holding masses and like empty stadiums or whatever. But the reality, <laughs> reality smacked in the face. And like, just because you think you are God doesn't mean you're God. You're just a subscriber in the game. And if you're not taking the time to work on your, your psyche and trying to really understand the nature of this reality, you're going to succumb to a lot of the laws of this reality, which is uh, law one. If you surround yourself with a bunch of sick people <laughs> uh, and you believe in the power of sickness and you believe in the power of viruses, um, you're going to manifest sickness and you're going to manifest disease in your body, especially if you're not working on being a conscious individual, which I can guarantee you that the Pope is not, despite the fact that he tries to portray himself as this godlike being. Right. So he had a reality check. Um, but yeah, I saw what it did to him, but he put himself in harm's way. That was just goofy. I, I'm not understanding how a person like Chris Cuomo really got close enough to another severely infected person to the point where he's allegedly feverish and all these other things. I don't know. I'm going to get off it, off of that whole thing. It's just really bugging me because, well, like I said, the beginning of this episode, it's, it's just the deception and the way they present themselves as, you know, truth tellers. And it's, and people believe that they're telling the truth. People believe that it's the media's function is to tell the truth and to educate people, but that's not what they do. I read a quote, somebody said something about um, uh, WWE, remember w, when it was WWF? It was the World Wrestling Federation back in like the 80s and the 90s, and people legit thought that shit was real. And then like there were other people who would come out and say like, yo, this shit is fake. <laughs> like they're clearly faking they're not really fighting each other and of course it was a small minority of people that would come out and say that wrestling was fake and so the other like 90 percent of people who legit believed that wrestling was real will of course attack the small minority of people who was like no this shit is clearly fake but then after a while the wwf became the wwe because they finally had to admit that, yes, it, it's clearly fake. Um, I'm just kind of waiting for that to happen with the media, where they come out and they admit, like it becomes a law, where they come out and they have to admit that when we have these talking heads and these pundits, they're not speaking facts, they're just talking about their opinions and they should be thus taken as opinions, not facts. When, when Fossey goes on TV 
and says that this virus is going to come back in the fall. Clearly, that's his fucking opinion. He's a doctor, okay? And like any, in any other situation where you talk to a doctor and he gives you one opinion, the wisest thing to do is to go and seek a second or third opinion. I remember reading a book, I think it was Principles by Ray Dalio, where he talked about he went to go see one doctor and that one doctor had... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It had said that he had this terrible, horrible disease, like this kind of cancer that would only leave, leave him with like a few months diagnosed. Thank you. <laughs> um, so the, like this, so Ray Dalio goes to this one doctor and you can Google it. So he goes to the first doctor. The doctor says he diagnosed him with this one disease. It was like debilitating and horrible and only left him with a few months to live. Then he goes to get a second opinion, and the second opinion was this, the doctor that said, yes, you do have this disease, there is a treatment, but it basically will severely degrade your quality of life right now, but there is a treatment. And Dalio skipped that doctor and went to a third doctor, and the third doctor was like, yeah, you're fine. <laughs> I don't know what these, two, what these two other dudes are talking about, but all we have to do is like give you like this medication or whatever for a few months and then you'll be okay right so they are doctors yes but they when they diagnose you their diagnosis is opinion and they should present that information with with the premise with the preamble or whatever you want to call it, you, you let the client, you're supposed to let the patient know that, hey, this, these are just my opinions and please seek a second opinion if you're you know, not 100% confident in my analysis. But do they do that? No, because a lot of doctors tend to have God complexes. Not all of them, but a lot of them. So when they say, this is my diagnosis, that's the problem with smart people is that they think that they are smarter than everybody, one, and that they aren't, there isn't going to be somebody else who is smarter than them, two. So we have Fossey going in and just shitting on any, any kind of hope. He's saying that it's going to come back in the fall. Yes, of course it's going to fucking come back in the fall. If you Google H1N1, it's now a, a fall uh, viral infection, too, that happens every fall. Same with, same with the flu. Same with SARS, actually. And once, and it's coronavirus. Like, coronavirus has fucking always been here. They just discovered it, and it comes back every fucking fall. So when you tell people the virus is going to come back in the fall, and you don't premise it with basically, but it's a virus, and it always comes back every fall when the weather changes, the same way the flu does, the same way H1N1 does, the same way SARS had. It just comes back and it changes, as viruses do, because viruses do that by their fucking nature. When you don't preface it with all these other things, that says more about what what is going on in your mind, which is you like the power, you like being able to, to be on TV, and you like scaring the fuck out of people, and you like the attention. And so when I see people like that, that sits, that sits badly with me in the sense of it's not even them as individuals. Like I understand this 
this desire, I guess. I, I, I don't, I only understand it from like a compassionate perspective as in, I don't want to get caught up in my anger against people. So I try to see their perspective regardless of who the person is. Right. So I get being like a five foot nothing individual that's not very attractive and nobody's ever heard of all of a sudden being thrust to the limelight and everybody's hanging on your own word, on your every word. I get not wanting that to end. But in the meantime, you are unabashedly terrifying millions of people. I'm not a doctor, but all the things that I said to you is easily verifiable common sense stuff. But when you present your opinion as fact, knowing that you're scaring people who may not know and otherwise do trust everything that you say and take what you say as fact, that bugs me. And bug is an understatement. It it, it annoys the fuck out of me, and I kind of want to punch him in the throat. <laughs> like, and I know that you guys who've been following my path, you've seen me like working on being a better person and not non-judgmental and everything like that. But like, I just I don't like it when people go out of their way to hurt people, and not just physically, but emotionally, psychologically, financially, economically, whatever you want to call it, for whatever motives that you might have. That really just, that bugs me, you know? That really bugs me. Um, so that's, that's that. I, you know, I know I tell you guys not to watch the news and then I talk about stuff that's on the news, but I clearly am doing that so I can see what they're being talked, what, what's being talked about and then kind of filter all the bullshit and present you with the truth, more or less, right? Like it's, just so you guys can start looking at things differently and understand that at the end of the day, we're all fucking equality here, despite the labels, right? I am I, you are I, we are I, right? And that I terminology, I guess, like I said, the fact that we all refer to us as I, I've thought about using that as a, a, sing, a signal to make me conscious, Right. So one, I've been really working on trying to slow down my response time because to me, and I've said this several times in previous episodes, consciousness is not something that we all have. It's something that we have to attain. Like, for example, to use the Westworld as an analogy, as an analogy, The first season was bomb. The second season was trash. And I haven't started watching the third season. I hope that they recovered. These are my opinions. I enjoyed the first season very well because there was some deep, esoteric, psychological stuff that you could have watched over and over again. And every time you watched that, you could have taken something away from it and and improved your life dramatically. And in that first season, they talked about suffering it's the constant suffering that made these robots conscious, right? So these are Buddhist principles. These are Hindu principles. This is Eastern philosophy and religion that has been whittled down to 
entertainment and uh, science fiction. Um, but when you suffer enough times, eventually you kind of snap, you kind of wake up and realize, okay, I keep looping on this. I don't want to keep doing this. I need to start making different choices, conscious choices, so that whatever experience I'm having now stops recurring and I can have, I can have a different experience in this reality. That's consciousness. And you don't, you're not giving, you're not given consciousness at birth. You have to wake up. It's like a, it's like a dream, right? You, there is a part of you that is conscious in the dream, right? There's a part of you that's obviously recording and replaying or playing all the scenes that you're seeing in a dream, right? So clearly there's consciousness there. There's a conscious self that's experiencing the dream. However, it's like latent. And the trick is experiencing the dream at a certain point where you start going, wait a minute, Something's not, this doesn't make any sense, right? And then eventually with enough experience of observing your dreams, right? You eventually wake up in the dream, in your dream, which is called lucid dreaming. And then you start being able to control your dreams. And that's why when you read books on how to lucid dream, they ask you to keep journals first. Because once you start observing things that patterns in your dream from writing it out, those patterns, those loops eventually wake your consciousness up while you're dreaming. And then that's what makes you realize, oh shit, oh, I'm in a dream. And that's what makes you lucid. And that's what makes you then able to start making changes in the dream world and controlling the dream. So I'm taking that and I am reducing it or maybe applying it to a macro version, depending on how you want to look at it, to our reality. There is a latent consciousness across the board that affects each and every one of us, or I should say that all of us are born with, right? And that's that sort of unconscious observer, right? For the most part, or all of us are sleepwalking, Right? We are going through life and we're in this loop and we're kind of the patterns are happening, but we're not conscious of it, right? So before I started writing out my dreams, I, because I didn't make myself conscious of, you know, what my dreams were, I just assumed um, either I don't dream every night, you know what I mean? Or I would just forget my dreams. Like I would know that I dreamt, but... By the end of the the day, the dream was gone. But then I started writing down my dreams. And from writing out my dreams, I started noticing certain things in my dreams. And they would recur. Like I would see the same people in my dreams. um, And they would tend to be doing the same thing in the dream. So obviously, when you keep having that experience and you make your conscious self in this reality aware of, oh, okay, I always see this in my dream. So what happens is then when you go to sleep, while you're sleeping, when you see that trigger, that trigger is what wakes you up. Theoretically, it makes you lucid in the dream, right? 
But until you take the time and you exercise the muscle of one, remembering your dream and two, writing it out and three, making yourself conscious of these patterns, you're going to go through your whole life not even conscious um, of what is happening, you know, in your unconscious. I hope that makes sense. Um, so the same thing with, with this world and this reality. There are patterns that all of us engage in. Like you ever see your friend, like you have a friend that just keeps doing the same thing over and over and over again, right? Like they keep dating the same type of dude over and over and over again. And you try to call it to their attention. Like, dude, you just dated this guy, right? And they they kind of seem like they're hearing you, but then they enter into a relationship with that person anyway. And then two, four, six months later, the guy basically does what that guy before did and what the guy before him did because they're in a loop, right? Now, if this person sat down and wrote out Right, certain characteristics of the individual that they seem to be attracted to, and the outcome of every relationship they have with that individual with those same sort of you know characteristics, it would then make them conscious of the choices that they were making unconsciously, so that if that individual, the archetype of that individual pops up again in, in their life, they can bypass that, they can stop choosing that individual, and thus make a conscious choice to live a different life, right? And by making those sort of actions, engaging in that same behavior across the board, whether it be partners that you date or emotional reactions that you have, over time, that's how that individual learns to become lucid in the waking reality, in our waking world. And that lucidity is what scientists more or less label consciousness. That's it. That's all that is. It's what people in the past, uh, in, in Buddhist religious, they call enlightenment. It's what people in esoteric circles, in occult circles, call um, illuminated. Um, it's all the same thing. It's just more or less being lucid in your waking reality. And so... I'm going to split my train of thought here and start and go back to the whole I thought process and why I want to use the word I as a trigger to remind me that, um, to, to, that I have to exercise consciousness. Um, because one, when another individual is talking and they use the word I, first of all, pulls me into the conversation and force me, forces me to listen to them when they're talking, right? And then two, it tells me, it feeds into the Hindu principles that we are all one, we are all I. I mean, we're, we're all saying it, right? When you say I am this or I am that, and then I also say I am this and I am that, I am not this, I am not that, and we're all using the same word. We're also kind of on an unconscious level reminding each other we are all I. We are all one. I and one look like the same thing. We are all one. 
you can even take it a step further to go back to the journalist's dream that I had last night when she was criticizing me and then I told her to mind your own fucking business, right? Um, when I woke up and I was writing out my dream, I thought it was funny that I was more or less upset with an aspect of myself because that journalist was just a construction of my psyche, right? It wasn't a real journalist, right? I didn't meet a quote unquote real person in my dream, right? She was part of a construct that my mind had created in the dream in order to deliver whatever message my mind was, my subconscious was trying to deliver to me through the symbolism of the dream. And now I read, first of all, rewind what I just said and loop that three or four times until it starts to sink in and then apply that to now our waking reality. I've said several times Um, And I've mentioned the book, The Kabbalion, as well. It says, all is mind. And then the Hindus say that, you know, the whole world is Brahma. And each and every one of us is that one God having different experiences. If you start approaching your interactions with other people as though they are part of the construct that's being experienced by an over-consciousness, like a singular consciousness, but taking many different forms and still unique forms, right? Like the journalist in my dream, she had her own personality, she had her own body, she had her her own patterns of behavior that I don't exhibit and I don't manifest in this waking reality. She was more or less her own entity, but she was still a construct of my mind based on experiences that I had had in this waking reality, pulling them forth to construct this person. I think that is the key, and I might be going over the heads of a lot of people but I'm certainly hoping not. And if you're not understanding it now, that doesn't mean you'll never understand what I'm saying. It's just you're just not at that point yet where what what I'm saying makes sense. Um, If I would have listened to this podcast a week ago, this very episode, I'm not sure I would have understood it either, but I'm starting to get it um, because all my paths have kind of converged to this point in understanding that There is a lot of symbolism that occurs in this reality, in our awakened reality, that we're not conscious of because we have been programmed to take everything that we see as, like, literally instead of figuratively, right? Even Schopenhauer, author Schopenhauer, if you are, if you're, like, put off by the whole, like, the spirituality aspect of what I'm talking about, then let's look at Schopenhauer. He wrote a whole book more or less saying the same thing. The, the book was called The World as Will and Idea. Will and Idea. Will and Idea. That's all I'm talking about 
That's exactly what I'm talking about right now. The entire world has will, conscious will, and idea. So if you start to look at other people, not as individual, I would say that there's, there's, a, there's a trick in the language that I is the truth, right? The word I is the truth. And the word you is the deception, right? If you start to kind of look at that, it shifts your perspective. Like I said before, you start to develop compassion for other people when you start understanding or realizing or coming to the terms of the fact that if you were in their shoes, you would do the exact same thing. You would behave in the exact same way. I've talked about this in regards to Trump. I am no Trump supporter doesn't matter. <laughs> and I know my regular listeners are tired of hearing me say this, but it, you know, it is what it is. That said, I went for the last two, two, three years, I've done a complete, I've done a 180, right? So I went from, I hate this guy to the understanding of if you put my soul in his body from birth, right? And you give me his childhood, his youth, his young adulthood, his entire life experience. I would basically act in the exact same way that he acts now. Because, and I, and I learned this, I got this from watching Humans, um, which is another great show on Prime Now. Um, it's not your genes that shape you. I mean, your genes, genes do have some influence, but a lot of genes don't get activated unless you're in the right or wrong environment. So it's not your genes that necessarily shape you. It's your experiences. And so if you take a soul and you have that soul temporarily forget certain aspects of who they were in the past and you impose upon them a series of experiences, you can almost predict based on those experiences how that individual will turn out. And so once you start looking at people as, I don't want to use the word victim, but a result they're largely a result of their circumstances, for better or worse, worse rather, you start to feel compassion for them. Now, I'm not, 100, I'm not there yet, clearly. Um, you just heard me call Fosse a fucking idiot. <laughs> and I still, deep down in my soul, believe that he is. You know, But I can at least look at him and feel some sort of sympathy for him or some sort of compassion for him and his behavior. I just don't like the fact that for whatever reason, his ego is so depleted that he depleted rather that he feels like he needs to cause this much suffering on people in order to make himself feel bad or feel better rather. But I know that if I was placed in his body for as long as he has lived, 
and had been, and was put through a series of his life experiences, I probably would be doing the same thing, especially if I had no recollect, recollection of my, my prior life now, my life now, not prior, but my actual life that I'm living right now. Right? So to better ex- explain this, when you dream, every time you dream, you're not, let me take this back, or let me throw it back. When I dream, I don't always dream that I'm Joe. I don't look like Joe, right? I'm not always black. I'm not always female. I'm not always tall. I'm not always a mother. I'm not always an adult. I'm not always a wife. And this is consistently every night. I become a whole other person with its own personality, its own manner of speak, or speech, <laughs> manner of speaking, right? It's own neurosis. I become a whole different person. And then I live like a little mini life, right? And then when I wake up, that person dies. And I do this consistently every night. And I used to think I didn't dream every night. But now that I've started writing out my dreams, I realize that no, I dream every single fucking night. And every night, I'm a whole different person. And every once in a while, like little aspects of my waking self, will peek through, but for the most part, I'm a different person every time I go to sleep. And the same thing for you. And, and, and it's because I'm not conscious yet or I'm not lucid yet. So that act of lucidity really breaks down to me bringing the persona of my waking self, Joe, into the dream world, along with the des- her desires and hopes and aspirations and things like that into that world and then sort of waking up in that world and then controlling that world. Now, I'm sort of grappling, like, do I even want to be able to do that? Because there's something to be said about being able to be all these different people every time I go to sleep because I, I'm learning from all these different personalities every time I go to sleep. And I'm becoming more empathic. Like, this is like a stupid dream, but but it was relevant to me. Um, I had this dream where I was like this blonde woman and uh, this blonde white woman. and, uh, And she went to go look in the mirror, right? Or I went to go look in the mirror, I guess. And I saw myself, but I wasn't myself. I was clearly white. But when I smiled... Like, and I couldn't have been older than like I am now, right? Like close to mid thirties. But I don't, I, as a black woman in this reality, I have like no wrinkles whatsoever. Not even kind of, okay? Um, Because black don't crack. But when I was in that dream and I went to smile, like my whole face wrinkled. And I was like, yo, what the fuck is happening to my face, right? And that really freaked me out. And in that dream, I felt the panic of what it must be like for somebody to look in, their, in the mirror and see their face change so dramatically, so drastically. And now I kind of understand just from that dream, 
not while I was having the dream, but after I woke up and I looked back and I wrote the dream out, I was like, yo, that was trippy. I didn't like that. You know, now I can have empathy for somebody that, you know, goes and has plastic surgery or does the Botox thing or whatever. Like I get it now because I was able to forget who I was in this reality and take on the personality of somebody who, you know, had to go through that and an excessive wrinkling at a particular, at a young age. Um, And so now I get it. So this whole journaling first started off with me trying to bring my Joe persona into the dream world. But the more I write, the more I'm like, I actually don't want that. Like I like playing with all these different personalities. Not only that, that also teaches me that the way I am, like say my painting and my art, things that I've developed very quickly in this waking reality, which I, you can call quote unquote waking reality, but I believe that we're all living like in a weird Russian doll type of reality. So when I sleep, I dream in, you know, of a different person, but how do I know that somebody isn't dreaming this persona? Right. So to have that constant reminder every time I sleep that, yes, this persona, Joe, is a persistent or it seems like a persistent persona. But while I'm dreaming of like, say I was that blonde white lady in that dream, it felt like that was who I was, too. Right. Until I wake up, until I woke up, rather. So it kind of changes your perception of reality and it kind of loses your attachment to your programmed perception of this reality, which is pretty dope. Um, So that tells me that if I am dreaming, you know, every night and I'm dreaming up different people, and I and I will say this, I'm not I'm not gonna go as far as to say that every persona, every character that I have in it, that I have interacted with in the dream world was a construct of my mind in the direct sense, because I have had dreams of people that I know in the waking world and their personalities are are pretty much exactly the same as they are in the waking world. It, it's but they were just more representation right of people that I actually knew right so to to avoid a so is it solipsism solipsistic link those two and you know the word I'm trying to use here um but to avoid like uh an uh an argument of solipsism right which is well how do you know that you're not the only conscious person in this whole entire world, um, I the only argument that I can use to refute that is that one, if you are, a lot of the people that you interact with could be constructs of your own mind, but I wouldn't go as far as to say that everybody that you interact with would be. So that refutes the solipsis, solipsistic argument only because experience, and I can only say that because experienced lucid dreamers have said that there are different types of people in the dream world that you meet. And from what I've read, there are base people that are constructs of your psyche, but then there are people in the dream world that are also lucid dreamers 
and you can interact with them too. Like they are from either this world and this reality or from other worlds and you don't control them. They kind of do their own thing and you can kind of get the feeling of the sense that they are lucid and conscious and real people. And then there are people who transcend the dream world um, and they, they are more like spirit guides and they know more about a lot of things than you in your waking world are even cognizant of. And, um, and so they exist in there as well. So basically what lucid dreamers have said, and then that book that I talked about that was about lucid dreaming, um, what, they, what he said was in that book was that not everybody that you meet in your dream is a construct of your own psyche. Like these are actual real individual. And then I have a theory that the dream world is an actual real world. Like it's a real world that's just as real as this one. Um, and that you can access it in different ways. Like when you sleep is and dream, that's one way to access it. Um, when you do psychedelic drugs, that's another way to access that world. Right. And and the reason why, another reason why I believe that it's an actual world is because people, there are people who've done psychedelics all together and have had group, scientists would call them hallucinations, I would say more group experiences where they all collectively talked to the same entities, right? So then that tells me at least you know, at face, taking at face value that these are, they're interacting with real people because, and this is like a, these are, this is a tangible experience because everybody's coming back and, and, you know, presenting the same experience. So that tells me that, okay, there's something else more than just, you know, what is. And then I want to take that mindset, that thought process and sort of reflect it back on our reality, and repeat that, that are there people in this world that could just be part of the simulation um, and manifested by like your mind? Maybe, I don't know. Are there people who are in this world that are manifested by the dream world itself? And I should say by this real world instead, the same way that there are people in your dreams that are manifested by the dream world? Yes. Are there entities that are in this world that are people who are also lucid and are controlling the construct? Uh, fucking obviously, right? Like, and I think that those are the people that the general public call the illuminated ones or we call the, you know, the Illuminati or whatever it is. But then I think it's just also, there are also just normal people who are conscious and aware of the nature of this reality and they're starting to like look at it and go like well this isn't quite what I was you know taught that it was like this world doesn't seem quite real right and those are more conscious people and then are there entities in this reality that are from other worlds and have kind of manifested themselves in our reality and I would also say yes have I interacted with them? Uh, no. Do I have a desire to? Um, 
I don't want to say no. I think it would be interesting. And if I ever talked to, <laughs> like, um, no, actually, no, let me backtrack. I think that, yes, um, and they would be like gurus, right? Like spiritual gurus. Like in some parts of India, if you're lucky and you go deep in far enough, you can find people that, can, that are what uh, the Hindus call gurus, and they'll teach you about the nature of reality, and, and they have access to information that like 99.99% of humanity does not, and they're there. Um, and then are there, not just India, obviously in Africa and among the Native Americans um, in South, South America as well, like they're there, just like you can talk to a spiritual guru in your dream, according to these books on lucid dreaming. So it's, it's two sides of the same coin. Right. Um, so there's that. And then are there not non-corporeal entities that kind of exist in both planes, both in this reality and can also access the dream world and vice versa? Yeah. Um, so that's uh, that's my wrap for today. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really going to take some more time to meditate on the word I. And like I said, using that every time somebody says the word I, using that as a trigger to understand that, okay, they might be talking about something deeper or not they, but like I might be, I might be getting hints to something deeper. And that should teach me to look at people not as individuals as, and thus separate from me, but a part of a collective consciousness, right? And that I is uh, that I word as using that as a reminder that we are all one and we're all having, we're all like various aspects of a collective consciousness having just different experiences through different personas and in different bodies simultaneously.